Amir al-Mu'mineen, in one of his eloquent sermons, and indeed all of his sermons were eloquent, describes the Holy Qur'an. And he states, let's know that the Qur'an is an enlightenment with guidance that would never be extinguished and turned off. And an ocean, a vast ocean, وبحرًا, that its end would never be reached. And a mean of guidance, a methodology that will never take us astray. And a testament that never lies. And a cure for all illnesses. Then he continues to say, and indeed the Quran is a shield of protection for those who stand by it. And the best of evidence and guidance for those who seek it. And he concludes by one of his most beautiful statements. And he says, no, be aware that before the Qur'an there is no richness and wealth. And after the Qur'an there is no poverty. Before the Qur'an, you may have a large bank account. You may have large influence. You may have fame, position, power, money. There is no richness. There is no real wealth. And he says, after the Qur'an, while you have the Qur'an, you have the real wealth, the real richness, and you no longer are in need of anything else. Brothers and sisters, I have to emphasize that the nights of Muharram, the nights dedicated to, say, dedicated to Sayyidina wa Mawlana al-Imam Abu Abdullah al-Hussein, and the majalis of Imam Hussein, their central theme must be the Qur'an. We must begin with the Qur'an and end the Qur'an, seek lessons from the Qur'an. Go to this vast ocean and benefit from it. Go to this mean of guidance and seek from it. And try to receive some of the wealth from the Qur'an. For with the Qur'an there is no poverty and without the Qur'an there is no wealth. And of course no one knew the Qur'an. No one understood the Qur'an. No one lived the Qur'an after Rasulullah like Amir al-Mu'mineen. He was the essence of the Qur'an. They took the Qur'an on top of spears. He told them 
that you listen and look and observe this book of the Qur'an while amongst you is Qur'an Allah al-Natiq. The Qur'an that is speaking, that is acting, that is living. And indeed, Rasulullah placed the Ahl al-Bayt as equals of the Qur'an. And we believe, in fact all Muslims believe that the Qur'an is infallible. And the Qur'an is complete. So when Rasulullah puts the Ahl al-Bayt next to the Qur'an, it means that they also must be infallible and complete. Amir al-Mu'mineen teaches us to keep our eyes on the Qur'an. Not to go astray. And believe me, brothers and sisters, if we focused on the Qur'an and those gatherings, if we focused on the spirit of the Qur'an, the message of the Qur'an, we would be able to bring great changes to our community, to our lives. And tonight, I would like to focus on one of the most fundamental verses within the entire book. One of the most important verses within the Holy Quran. In Surah Al-Nahl, the B, chapter 16, verse 43. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ قَبْلِكَ إِلَّا رِجَالِ the men, the individuals who we appointed and sent to human beings before you were all mortal, normal human beings. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Nuhi ilayhim. But with the exception of what? That they were supported by the wahi. They were supported by revelation. They were connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is one segment of the ayah. This is one message of the ayah. Then Allah looks at me and you. Looks at the entire creation. Every human being. And he declares this statement. فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ الذِّكْرِ إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا And thus ask those connected to the wahi and thus ask those ahl dhikr if you were not aware if you were ignorant of a matter i would like to examine this ayah brothers and sisters in the following manner number one the sabab nuzul of this ayah why was this ayah revealed what caused this ayah to be descended onto Rasulullah? And number two, the decree within the ayah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordains us to ask, what does this decree indicate within this verse? Allah says, you must ask, فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ الذِّكْرِ إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ Number three, while Ahl al-Dhikr are not present, while those connected to the Wahi and Revelation are absent, who do we ask? Number four, 
we will examine and look into the four main books of hadith by the followers of the Ahlul Bayt. Number five, we will examine five books known as Al-Usul Al-Khamsa, the five principles. Those five books are the navigators of the four books. Number six, we will speak of the process of hadith selection. And number seven, we will look at the biography of one of the greatest muhaddithin, narrators of hadith known as Zakaria ibn Adam al-Ash'ari al-Qummi. Brothers, sisters, why is it that we look into sabab al-nuzul, the reason behind dissension of an ayah? Why is it that we ask, what is the sabab of nuzul of this ayah? Why was it revealed? Is it something really important? I mean, the Qur'an was revealed so many years ago, 1,400 years ago. Why does it matter why this verse was revealed? Many reasons. The most prominent reason and most important reason is because it lets us touch the spirit of the verse, understand the essence of the verse. And it tells me and you, how is it that we can incorporate this ayah within our lives? How is it that I can take this ayah and apply it to my own life? Because Rasulullah when he leaves the Qur'an and the Ahlul Bayt amongst us, that means they are the guidance for us until the Day of Judgment. So some people say, I read the Qur'an, I can't relate it. I can relate to it. I read the Qur'an, how am I going to incorporate the verses of the Qur'an in my life? I read the Qur'an, I have family problems. I don't know how the Qur'an can give solution to my family problems. So the Qur'an is expired, it's out of date. It belongs to 1,400 years ago. It's a book for blessings. You know, we open the Qur'an and we treat it also like a book of blessings. When we have a wedding, we put the Qur'an in front of the bride and groom. We open the Qur'an and they stand behind the Qur'an and, you know, they do the aqd. Also, when we have someone who passes away, we come and we recite the Qur'an. When we have someone traveling, we hold the Qur'an and he passes underneath the Qur'an. The Qur'an has become a symbol of barakah. Some of us, we like to decorate our homes with some verses of the Qur'an. But decorating our life with the Qur'an? No, this is something that I cannot seem to understand today. I must say that is not the problem of the Qur'an and that is not the problem of the Ahlul Bayt. They do not expire. The problem is with our understanding of the Qur'an. The problem is with our understanding of the legacy of Ahlul Bayt. And therefore we must strive to be able to relate the Qur'an within our lives. One way to do that is through understanding Sabab al-Nuzul. What caused Allah to reveal this verse within the Qur'an? To descend this verse onto the heart of Rasulullah. Number two, 
Listen to this, it's very important. Give me your undivided attention. If you know sababun nuzul, many of the truths can no longer stay hidden. Many of the truths can no longer be played around with. What do I mean? You have an ayah within the Holy Quran, chapter 33, verse 33. Allah has to purify you, O Ahlul Bayt, and remove any sort of impurities from you. You all know the ayah. Every Muslim has heard the ayah. But some Muslims will tell you this ayah includes the wives of Rasulullah. This ayah includes the extended family of Rasulullah, the uncles of Rasulullah. Because it speaks of the Ahlul Bayt, the family of Rasulullah. Say yes. If we did not have any history surrounding this ayah, if we did not know sababun nuzul, indeed that would be the case. But when you go to Tariq al-Kabir of Imam al-Bukhari, you ask why did Allah reveal this verse and what is the history surrounding this ayah, you find that Imam al-Bukhari says in his Tariq al-Kabir, for nine consecutive months after this ayah was revealed, Rasulullah would go and stand in front of the door of the house of Fatima al-Zahra. And he would then say, Assalamu alaykum ya ahl al-bayt. Innama yuridullah. لِيُذْهِبَ عَنْكُمُ الرَّجْسَ أَهْلَ الْبَيْتِ وَيُطَهِّرَكُمْ تَطْهِيرًا Meaning what? Meaning for nine months, those who were out of Medina have come back. Those who left and came back find Rasulullah doing the same routine every day. First he states to them that you are Ahlul Bayt, then he reads the ayah indicating, O Muslims, and know that this ayah speaks of this home, no other home. It speaks of this sanctuary and no one else. Abu Bakr says, Ya Rasulullah, which homes are those homes that the Quran describes? Rasulullah says, Innaha buyutul anbiya. It is the home of Anbiya. Then he himself points to the home of Fatima and Ali. And he says, Is this home one of their homes? Rasulullah says, It is the greatest of those homes. That is why Undeniable truths. That is why Rasulullah told them, shut every door leading to my masjid except this door. They told him, Ya Rasulullah. Why? Is it because it's the house of your daughter Fatima? Is it because of your, the, it's the door of your, uh, it's the door of the home of your cousin, Amir al-Mu'mineen? Why is it that you ordained us to shut our doors and you kept his door open? What does he say? He says, Wallah, Alladhi nafsi biyadih. 
Allah ordered me to shut your doors and ordered me to keep his door open. Allah ordered me to shut your doors and to keep his door open. Therefore, when we come to this very important phenomenon, this very important notion, that who are Ahl al-Dhikr? We must know that the Qur'an was revealed within their homes. They were the ones that received the Qur'an. They were the ones that understood the Qur'an. We know the spirit of the ayah by Sababun Nuzul. We know that Sababun Nuzul is the reason behind the dissension. One truths, one of those truths in this ayah cannot be hidden. How? By knowing that this ayah in chapter 33 verse 33 was revealed discussing the purity of Ahlul Bayt. Another example of why we examine Sababun Nuzul. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Holy Quran says, إِنَّمَا وَلِيُّكُمُ اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا الَّذِينَ يُقِيمُونَ الصَّلَاةَ وَيُؤْتُونَ الزَّكَاةَ وَهُمْ رَاكِعُونَ They may tell you, yes, your wali means the friend, means this, means that, this ayah is not applicable to this person, this ayah is not applicable. But you come to Sababun Nuzul, why was this ayah descended? Why was this ayah revealed? There isn't a single Mufassir or the popular opinion of Mufassirin, the grand Mufassirin of the Muslims, then tell you, reveal to you why this ayah was revealed. It was revealed when Ali ibn Abi Talib gave his ring as a form of charity for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in ayat al-mubahala says, قُلْ تَعَالَوْ نَدْعُ أَبْنَاءَنَا وَأَبْنَاءَكُمْ وَنِسَاءَنَا وَنِسَاءَكُمْ وَأَنفُسَنَا وَأَنفُسَكُمْ ثُمَّ نَبْتَهِلْ When you look at this ayah without knowing the history surrounding it, without knowing sabab al-nuzul, you may say, well, maybe Rasulullah took other people. But when you go and look at the history surrounding it, a lot of the truth can no longer stay hidden. The history says, Sababun Nuzul says, Rasulullah took with him Ali, Fatima, Hassan, and Hussein. That is why the scholars of Ahlul Bayt, that is why the followers of Ahlul Bayt, we give the utmost importance to examining Sababun Nuzul. Every time you read an ayah, go and see why was this ayah revealed. So you can incorporate that in your life. And at many times here in the West, we are asked about different ayat within the Quran that may at, mo- at, at first seem violent. Why does this ayah say kill the non-believers? Of course it seems violent. While other v- verses in the Quran speak of peace, speak of harmony, speak of friendship, three speak of dialogue. It's only when I go and see Sababun Nuzul, I understand why is it that Allah revealed this verse. For example, chapter 2, Surah Al-Baqarah, verse 92, Allah says, وَقَاتِلُوا الَّذِينَ يُقَاتِلُونَكُمْ And fight those who fight you. وَلَا تَعْتَدُوا 
Why was this verse revealed? This is not my discussion tonight, but as an example. Why was this uh, verse revealed? This, re this verse was revealed when the Muslims were going to the minor pilgrimage. They were wearing the ihram. They could not carry weapons inside Mecca. So the mushrikeen said, if the Muslims are coming with two garments of clothes without any weapons, as soon as they reach Mecca, we'll kill them. We'll kill Rasulullah. So the ayah says, وَقَاتِلُوا and fight those الَّذِينَ يُقَاتِلُونَكُمْ وَقَاتِلُوا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ الَّذِينَ يُقَاتِلُونَكُمْ And fight those who come to fight you. When I read this verse by itself, I say, how can God tell us to fight? How can God order us to carry weapons? When I know why this verse was revealed, I understand the spirit of the ayah. Why was this verse revealed? Of Surah An-Nahl. Many of the mushrikeen, many of the people of the book would come and say, why did God appoint Muhammad? Muhammad is an ordinary man. What's so special about him? He eats, we eat. He sleeps, we sleep. He gets tired, we get tired. He needs a family, we have a family. What's so special about Muhammad? So Allah responds to them. Ya Rasulullah, tell them. Every man we chose before you was mortal. They died. They had limitations. But, but, they were empowered and supported by wahi. By revelation. That Allah says, فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ الذِّكْرِ إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ If you have doubt that this man is my messenger, this man has been appointed by me, ask him. Ask him and he should have the knowledge to anything that is asked of him. And that is my sign for you that he's connected to the wahi. Meaning if you ask him and he says, I don't know, we know that he's not connected to the wahi. If he asks and says, this is not my field of expertise. You ask me about chemistry, I'm a prophet of God. How do I know about chemistry? You ask him about math, he says, well, I don't know about math. I'm a prophet of God, I'll tell you how to pray and fast and go to the pilgrimage. No, 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 no. God says, Fas'alu. Ask him anything. In kuntum la ta'lamun. About anything that you do not know. Now, number three, who are Ahl al-Dhikr? Step by step. Who are Ahl al-Dhikr? Of course, Ahl al-Dhikr must be Rasulullah. Why? Because Dhikr is the Qur'an. The word dhikr means the Qur'an. Why? Because Allah says, Nuhi ilayhim, we give them the revelation. Nuhi means we reveal unto them. The word wahi means revelation. Nuhi ilayhim, then he says, Fas'alu ahl al-dhikr. Meaning ahl al-dhikr, the people of dhikr are the ones who have the wahi, who receive the wahi, who are connected to the wahi. So we know it's Rasulullah. The question is, who else besides Rasulullah? What does this verse indicate? For those who are asked, tomorrow they ask you, look at what this verse indicates. First of all, this verse indicates that if we do not know, Allah ordains us to ask. In the day of judgment, we cannot say, Allah, I didn't know. Allah says, I ordained you to ask. Yes, if you were in the middle of the jungles 
and you had no access, no ability, that's fine. But since you have the ability to ask, you have the ability to seek knowledge, you have the ability to gain awareness, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not keep that as an excuse. And Rasulullah, the Quran, emphasized on this point. The day it was revealed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Iqra. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala within the Quran teaches us that asking, seeking knowledge is the principle of Islam. Rasulullah says, Seek knowledge even if it meant for you at that time to go to China. Some people, knowledge is next to them. It's a monitor in front of them. It's a book in their library. It's there. It eats dust. As if Rasulullah has told this ummah, please, don't open a book. Don't read. Don't educate yourselves. Therefore, Allah ordains us. It's a decree of Allah that we must ask if we are not aware. We must seek knowledge. That's one. Number two, if Allah tells me to ask someone, somebody, an entity, and that entity says, okay, I know the answer to this question, but I don't know the answer to this. Would Allah point me out to such a person? Would Allah point me to a person that has limited knowledge? Sometimes I ask him, he says, yes, I know the answer to this. At others, I ask him and he doesn't know the answer. Would Allah point me to such a person? Therefore, Ahl al-Dhikr must have all the knowledge. Ahl al-Dhikr must have all the knowledge. Number three. Because they have all the knowledge and everyone must ask them, they are automatically the a'lam of their time. The most knowledgeable of their time. That's three. Four. The aql and reason tells you we must always follow the most learned and most knowledgeable. Now that we know the criteria and the indication of this ayah, who are Ahl al-Dhikr? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala within the Quran says, La yamassuhu illa al-mutahharun. No one understands the Quran besides the purified. And another verse, he says, "Innama yuridu Allahu liyudhiba ankum al-rijsa ahl al-bayt wa yutahharakum tatira." And we just discussed this: Who are ahl al-bayt, right? But some people might say, "Sayyid, you brought a verse from here and from here. You put it together, and this is your own conclusion." I want something solid. I tell him, "Go to the tafsir of the major scholars of tafsir and Islam." Underneath this ayah, look at the tafsir, a hadith from Ibn Abbas. No one doubts Ibn Abbas. No one questions Ibn Abbas. Habr al-Ummah, the scholar of the Ummah. Ibn Abbas was asked, Ibn Abbas, man hum ahl al-dhikr? Who are ahl al-dhikr? He says, hum Muhammad, wa Ali, wa Fatimah, wa al-Hasan, والحسين هم أهل الذكر والعقل والبيان They are أهل الذكر and they are أهل العقل 
Because sometimes you have a, a jewel, you have a diamond, but you don't know how what it's worth. You need aql to tell you what it's worth. One day a man came to Buhlul, he saw Buhlul was holding a golden brick, this big. And he was tossing it up and down, up and down, up and down. This person, he came, he said, Buhlul, let me trick him and take this golden brick from him. This Buhlul doesn't know what's going on. So he came, <clears throat> he told him, Buhlul, what's in your hand? He said, toys, you know, I'm playing with it. He said, Buhlul, give it to me. So Buhlul said, okay, I'll give it to you. But before I give it to you, I want you to make donkey sound for me. Do you know what a donkey sound is? He said, yeah, I know. He said, make some donkey sound for me. I want to hear you. So the man, he started making donkey noises. He said to him, maybe you can do it louder so everyone can hear you. So the man said, heck, it's worth it, you know. It's a golden brick. So he started doing it louder. Buhlul said to him, you have, you know, you imitate the, the mule very well. So let's go to the market, the bazaar. There you stand and you shout. Make those donkey noises. So this man, he went to the bazaar. Buhlul, he was sitting and tossing the golden brick. And this man, he was making donkey noises. Buhlul turned around and he left. This man chased him. He said, Buhlul, you told me you are going to give me the golden brick. He said, you were just making donkey noises. You, you want me to give a golden brick to a donkey? Sometimes we have jewels. There is a diamond. They are ahl al-dhikr, but they are also ahl al-aql. They also have the aql to go with it, to understand it, to discover it, to appreciate it. Wal-bayan, and they also articulate it. They also discuss it. They also dispense their knowledge. Look at Amir al-Mu'mineen. What we just opened the sermon with, how he describes the Qur'an. I challenge anyone to find me one man who has described the Qur'an and the mannerism that Ali ibn Abi Talib has described it. Therefore, Ibn Abbas says, Ahl al-Dhikr are Muhammad, Ali, Fatima, Al-Hasan, wal Hussein. Now, if you observe history, brothers and sisters, and you look at those 12 infallible Imams, it's a historical challenge. Go and see one person who says, I was the teacher of one of those 12 individuals. Claim that I was the teacher of Imam al-Jawad. I was the teacher of Imam al-Sadiq. I was the teacher of Imam al-Radha. I was the teacher of Hussein. I was the teacher of Ali ibn al-Hussein. They studied under me. Or history says that Ali ibn al-Hussein, Ja'far ibn Muhammad, Musa ibn Ja'far, Ali ibn Musa studied under this man for one day, for one minute, for one hour, for one year. This is the first challenge. Second, who had the audacity? To sit in front of everyone and say, Saluni qabla an tafqiduni. Who did it beside him? Ask me before you lose me, Saluni qabla an tafqiduni, fa inni wallah a'lamu bituruk il sama anturuk il arth. Ask me of the paths of the heavens and the skies. I am more aware of them than the earth. Only Ali ibn Abi Talib. One man. Why? Because Rasulullah says, 
أنا مدينة العلم أنا مدينة العلم I am the city of knowledge Any knowledge All sorts of knowledge Endless knowledge أنا مدينة العلم وعلي بابها And Ali is the gate to that city He also says مثل أهل بيتي كسفينة نوح من ركبها نجا ومن تخلف عنها هلك وغرق The example of my Ahlul Bayt is like Noah's Ark Whoever embarks on this Ark will receive salvation Whoever embarks on this Ark will be saved and protected will live a life of awareness not a life of confusion will live a life of dignity and honor. Now, while the Ahlul Bayt are not present, Rasulullah, Fatimah al-Zahra, 11 of the Imams have passed, and the 12th is an occultation. How do we ask? Allah has ordered us to ask. How do we ask? We ask through books of hadith. We go to their knowledge. We knock at their door to the city of Rasulullah, to the city of knowledge of Rasulullah through the Ahlul Bayt. That is why I want to discuss the books of Ahlul Bayt, the legacy of Ahlul Bayt, the hadith of Ahlul Bayt. Some people might say, well, Sayyid, why discriminate? Discuss all the books of hadith. Why only the four Shi'i books? I have my reasons and I tell you. The greatest book belonging to those outside the madhab of Ahlul Bayt without a doubt is Sahih al-Bukhari. And after it, it's Sahih Muslim. The greatest of scholars of hadith, Imam al-Nisa'i. Go read his biography, they have some miracles about Imam al-Nisa'i. They narrate miracles about Imam al-Nisa'i. There is no question that Imam al-Nisa'i was the scholar of hadith. When he comes to 111, 111 of narrators of hadith in Bukhari and Muslim. 111. This is the statement he writes in front of their biography. This is his opinion of them. Wallah, الذي نفسي بيده إنه كذاب. Imam al-Nasai, he says, to 111 individuals that Sahih, Bukhari, and Muslim rely on, that's by God, that holds my soul, this person is a liar. The same Imam al-Bukhari comes to Imam Ja'far al-Sadiq. And he says, I won't narrate from him. I don't want to narrate from him in my book. But we, when we discuss hadith, we want to look at hadith, Sahih Muslim, Sahih Bukhari, Sahih Al-Nisa'i, Ibn Majah. Brothers, sisters, we have the legacy of Ahlul Bayt, the traditions of Ahlul Bayt. Of course, when we want to debate those outside the school of Ahlul Bayt, we ought to use their own books. 
were ought to use their own books to tell them that what we believe in is also in your books. What we believe in, you also believe in. You just don't know it's there. Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal. One example. Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal narrates this hadith. By Um Salama, he says, Imam Hussein walked onto the presence of Rasulullah. He was maybe five or six years old. He walked onto the presence of Rasulullah. Rasulullah was resting, so I tried to hold Hussein. So that Hussein won't go and disturb Rasulullah. He managed, he went inside the room. Then I went and I saw him sitting on the stomach on the chest of Rasulullah. Rasulullah was playing with him. She said, I went and I came back and I saw Rasulullah was weeping. So I said to him, Ya Rasulullah, this is not normal. You're not just crying. Those aren't just tears. You're weeping. Why are you weeping, Ya Rasulullah? Lima tanhabu Ya Rasulullah? Like a mother who cries for her child that has died. Nahib. So he says to her, Ya Am Salamah, Jibra'il just came and he told me that, Do you love uh, Hussein? I said, Yes, I love Hussein. He says, Taqtuluhu ummatuk. Your ummah will kill him. And he gave me some of the soil of Karbala. Um Salama, take this soil. Whenever the soil turns into blood, know that Hussein, my grandson, has been martyred. Now they tell you, why do you cry for Hussein? Why do you weep for Hussein? I ask them this question. Have you ever in history, in any of the books, in any of the ayat of the Quran found that a prophet and a messenger of Allah cries for someone before they actually die. Imam Hussein has not been killed. Imam Hussein is in front of him. Rasulullah weeps for him. No prophet and messenger has cried for an incident, a massacre, a martyrdom, which has not yet occurred. So when we are asked, why do you cry for Hussein? We say it's in your, in your own books. But that does not mean we should neglect the legacy of Al-Muhammad. The books that we have. What are the books that we have? The first book that we have is Kitab Al-Kafi by a Shaykh Muhammad bin Ya'qub Al-Kulayni, also known as Thiqatul Islam. Thiqatul Islam. The entrusted one. The one who we trust with hadith. And of course, Shaykh Al-Kulayni, his book, when he authored the book, he didn't just accumulate hadith. According to his belief, he went and he found the most authentic of hadiths and he put them in the book of Al-Kafi. Died at the, three, at the year 329. The second book, مَنْ لَا يَحْضَرُهُ الْفَقِيحِ Abu Ja'far ibn Babawayh al-Qummi, also known as Shaykhuna al-Saduq, died in the year 381. This is our second book. Our third book, Al-Tahdeeb, 
Our fourth book, Al-Istibsar, authored by Shaykh Al-Ta'afah Muhammad bin Al-Hasan Al-Tusi. Shaykh Al-Tusi, the greatest of our ulama, Shaykh Al-Ta'afah. He was in Baghdad. He was the student of Shaykh Al-Mufid. Then after Shaykh Al-Mufid passed away, he became the student of Sayyid Al-Murtada and Sayyid Al-Radhi. And after Sayyid Al-Murtada died, he became Shaykh Al-Ta'afah. And the grand scholar of Baghdad. Go read his history. Then he went to Najaf. One interesting part of his life is when he went to Najaf, Shaykh Al-Tusi, when he went to Najaf, they said, where do you want to live? He said, buy me a home next to Sayyid Muhammad Mahdi Bahr al-Uloom. I want to be his neighbor. They said, why? He says, because I'm not buying the property. I am buying the neighbor. I am buying the jiwar of Sayyid Muhammad Mahdi Bahr al-Uloom. Allahu Akbar. Look at the love between those two individuals. And of course, he remained and he authored those books. And amongst our four main books, two of them belong to Shaykh Al-Tusi, who is buried in Najaf Al-Ashraf. When you go to Najaf and you visit Amir Al-Mu'mineen, go to Shaykh Al-Tusi. Read Fatiha for him. Stand at his grave. Honor him. You're not standing on a grave. You're not standing on bones. You're not standing on dust. You're standing on the... Legacy of Ahl al-Bayt delivered to us by Shaykh al-Tusi. Now we have those four books, but do we claim that everything in those books is correct? Everything in those books is flawless? Like others who say our book is Sahih. Sahih Muslim. Sahih al-Bukhari. We say all our books are subject to critique. That is why Shaykh Al-Tusi himself wrote books to critique those two books. This is the madhab of Ahl al-Bayt. He wrote books, two books, to navigate through those hadiths that he has compiled in Al-Tahdib and Istibsar. They are known as Al-Usul Al-Khamsa, the five pillars. What do they do? They tell you how to select hadith. Which hadith is a hadith that you ought, you ought to take? Which hadith is the one who you ought to refuse? Inshallah, we'll talk about how the selection process works. What are those five books, Usul al-Khamsa, that discuss the rijal, those individuals who narrate hadith, Five books, some of them contain 900, some of them in the hundreds, some of them in the thousands. Individuals who narrated from Ahl al-Bayt. The first one is Rijal al-Najashi. Second is Rijal al-Jashi. Third, Rijal al-Shaykh al-Tusi. Fourth, Fihrist al-Shaykh al-Tusi. And last, the fifth, Rijal al-Barqi. The books of Rijal. You open them and you only find biographies of individuals. Some of them, when they authored the book, they came and they said, look, we're going to take the companions 
and we're going to sort them out according to their lifespan. Meaning, someone lives from the year 1999 to the year, for example, 2050. Now, whatever he tells you has happened in those years, you say, yeah, he was there. He could have been a witness to it. He was an eyewitness to it. But if he comes and narrates to you something in the year 1970, do you take it from him? We say, you weren't even there. You weren't even there. Similarly, they have come and put the Sahaba of the Imams and Tabaqat. First stage is Rasulullah. Second stage, Amir al-Mu'mineen. Third stage, Imam Hassan and Hussein. Fourth stage, Zain al-Abideen. Fifth stage, Imam Baqar and Sadiq. And so on and so forth. They have made them into stages. Why? So that when I look at a hadith by Muhammad ibn Muslim, I know that he was the companion of Imam al-Sadiq. I know this is his time, this is his period, this is his time spam. If I find the hadith that is attributed to Muhammad ibn Muslim, that he narrates from Imam Amir al-Mu'mineen, I say this is not possible. He didn't live in the time of Imam Ali. So there has to be a missing link. There's a couple of guys that are men not mentioned in this hadith. So this hadith becomes mursal, it becomes da'if. I cannot take it. Others have said, okay, the tabaqat are there, the stages are there, now let's speak of their biography. Which one of them worked for the government? Which one of them had bad memory? Which one of them did not narrate exactly the way the imam said it? He played around with the words. Which one of them was a liar? Which one of them was a fabricator? And Allahu Akbar, if you look at Islamic history, there are people talented. They, they had a special talent to fabricate hadith. Wallah. Inshallah, one day I will talk about the most talented of them in one of my speeches. So, they came and they speak of the biography of every one of those Sahaba. The details of their lives. How many hadiths they have narrated. This book allows me and you to navigate through the hadith. To pick the hadith that is correct. And to remove the hadith that is incorrect. Why? Because Allah says, We want to ask them, so we look at a hadith, we say, okay, this is a hadith, it must be from Imam al-Sadiq, because it says an al-Sadiq. Allah doesn't say, just pick up any hadith. He says, make sure that they have said it. How do I make sure they have said it? When I go and I handpick the rotten apples in the chain of narrators, I say, this guy, I'm not going to take this hadith. This guy, I'm not going to take this hadith. This guy, I'm not going to take this hadith. Now this chain, it looks perfect, we'll take this hadith. Why? What are the other reasons why we need ilmul rijal? What is the process of hadith selection? Sometimes you have one hadith, the imam tells someone, wash your feet instead of wiping it. The imam, he says. He says, Ya ibn Rasulullah, amsah? Am aqsil? Do I wipe my feet or do I wash? Now what do we have to do? Allah in the Quran says, فَمْسَحُوا بِرْؤُسِكُمْ وَارْجُلَكُمْ Wipe your head and your feet. The Imam keeps telling him, wash. 
He left. The companion said, Ya Rasulullah, what happened? You told this guy to wash, he asked you three times. He said, this man works at the chambers of Bani al-Abbas. If he's going to wipe there, they're going to wipe his head off. So I told him, his duty is to wash. His duty is to wash. But why look at this hadith and I find that this hadith is in a state of taqiyah to save someone's life. But if a hadith is not in a state of taqiyah and it goes against the Quran, it goes against the aql, it goes against the popular hadiths of the imams, what do I do? I question this hadith. I say, let's examine this hadith. I go and I examine every single one in that chain. And I say, here's the rotten apple. This guy must have fabricated the hadith. So remove that hadith from our legacy. Now there are some individuals who all those five books and other scholars after them have come and say, those individuals, if they narrate a hadith, their hadith must be pure and accepted. They've passed their test. They're called Ashabul Ijma' The men of consensus, the companions of consensus. Meaning, that if you find their hadith, you accept it. Their number are 18 individuals. Amongst them, for example, is Muhammad ibn Muslim, Safwan ibn Yahya, Zurara ibn Ayun. And amongst those individuals is a man by the name of Zakariya ibn Adam, Al-Ash'ari al-Qummi. Who is this man? I have to be very brief, inshallah, he'll go take some time to read his biography. When I first went to the holy city of Qom, and I would go to the shrine of Sayyidah Ma'asuma, I find the scholars, the mujtahids, the fuqaha, the maraja', they enter a cemetery close to the shrine called Shaykhan. And they stand there in front of a shrine. So I asked, what is this shrine? They said, the shrine belongs to Zakaria ibn Adam al-Qummi. I went and I researched this man. It should be the aim of every follower of Ahl al-Bayt to become another Zakariya ibn Adam al-Qummi. Allahu Akbar. Look at his legacy. Look what he left behind. His biography starts by the head of their tribe in the time of Rasulullah, Amr bin Malik al-Ash'ari, who came from Yemen to Medina and embraced the religion of Islam. Yemen. From that time, those individuals of Yemen fought for the truth. They stood for the truth and until today. Inshallah, our brothers and sisters in Yemen will prevail. Inshallah, Allah will give them strength against those kuffar and munafiqeen, the cowards. So he came, he embraced the religion of Islam. And after the demise of Rasulullah, they moved to Kufa, Al-Ash'ara, all of them moved to Kufa. Before the demise of Rasulullah, when they would speak of the Ash'ara, Rasulullah says, Allahumma ghfir lil-Ash'ariyeen. Oh Allah, forgive them all, this entire tribe. They're noble people. One dua from Rasulullah. 
And there's another dua from another ma'soom. Allahumma al'an bani umayyata qatibah. There is one dua and there is one dua. What makes the difference because of their eye color? Because of their skin? Because of their weight? Because of their money? No. It's because of their closeness to Allah and Rasulullah. One are those who obey. One are those at the service of Islam. And others know they're there to destroy Islam on a daily basis. So they moved to Kufa. After Kufa, they, after Amir al-Mu'mineen, they remained in Kufa until the, the, sac, the massacre of Ashura. Then there was Mukhtar al-Thaqafi. Many of them joined al-Mukhtar. They were killed. Some of them remained. And al-Hajjaj came to kill every single one of them. 72 men remained. 72 out of a huge tribe that populated Yemen. 72 men remained. They decided that they're going to move to the holy city of Qom. So they went to Qom. And there they established the seminary, the house of Qom. Today was founded by the Ash'ara. And Imam al-Ridha, when he passed through Iran to go to Khurasan, when he reached Qom, it was the first of Muharram. When he left Qom, it was the tenth of Muharram. You know why? Because the Ash'ara would have a majlis in Qom for ten days commemorating the Aza of Imam Hussein. Imam al-Radha made sure that he's there for the whole ten days. Then he moved to Khurasan. People would come to Imam al-Sadiq and they would tell them of the activities of the Ash'ara, what they're doing, how they have been spreading the knowledge of Al-Muhammad. How they have become a torch of enlightenment in Iran at that time. That was populated by all Sunnis. There was no Shia there. How they are actively spreading the message of Ahlul Bayt. So what does Imam al-Sadiq sallallahu alayhi say? Imam al-Sadiq says, يُنَزِّلُ عَلَيْهِمُ الْبَرَكَةِ وَيُبَدِّلُ سَيِّئَاتِهِمْ حَسَنَاتِ هُمْ أَهْلُ الرُّكُوعِ والسجود هم الفقهاء الفحماء. They are the people of ruku'. They are the people of sujood. They are the fuqaha. They are the ulama. Allah will send barakah to that land because of them. A man from them went to Imam al-Sadiq. Imam al-Sadiq had his companions around him. And... Imam honored him. He honored him so much. He gave him so much respect. When the man left, they told him, "Man hada alladhi barartahu hakada yabna Rasulullah." Who's this man that you were so respectful of him? He said, "Innahu min ahl baytin nujaba, ma adahum jabbarun illa wa qasamahullah." He says, they are from the noble family. Any tyrant who fought them, Allah destroyed him. Zakariya ibn Adam became the scholar of the Ash'ara, the scholar of Qom. The marja of Qom, he was tired. 
because of circumstances we don't have time to talk about. So he wrote to Imam al-Ridha. He said, Ya ibn Rasulullah, I want to leave Qum. Maybe go back to Medina, maybe go to Kufa, maybe even come to you, Ya ibn Rasulullah. So what does the Imam say to him? إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَدْفَعُ بِأَهْلِ قُمْ بِكِ كَمَا يَدْفَعُ بِأَبِ الْحَسَنِ الْكَاظِمِ عَنْ أَهْلِ بَغْدَادِ Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. He says, stay in Qum. You are a protection for them against evil. Just like Al-Imam Al-Kazim is a protection for the people of Baghdad. One man, one companion of Ahlul Bayt can reach such a level. A man goes to Imam Al-Radha, he says, Ya ibn Rasulullah, my path is long. I cannot get to you. It's too far. It's too dangerous. Who do I take my knowledge, my ilm, my deen, my faith from? What does the Imam say to him? Min Zakariya ibn Adam al-ma'moon ala deeni wa dunya. Take it from Zakariya ibn Adam, the entrusted one. The one who we trust on matters of deen and dunya. On matters of religion, matters of faith, and matters of the akhirah and the dunya. Do you not want such a token given to you by your imam? Do you not want such a medal given to you by your imam? Today if they come and tell you, let's make you the CEO of the largest company in Canada, or give you one of those medals, which one would you choose? Don't waste your time. Seek the knowledge of Ahl al-Bayt. This is what will get you there. Fatigue yourself, give your life to seeking the uloom of Al-Muhammad. You'll become another Zakariya ibn Adam. So that the Imam feels, I have someone in Canada. I trust him. He's been our entrusted one. We are proud of him. He is the barakah there where Allah will remove evil from the people because of his presence. Yes, it happens. If we want it to happen. If we decide we want to be there. Wassalamu alaikum. Wa rahmatullah.